1: Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 240.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership.
1: And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. So appreciative that you're finding some value in Dose of Leadership. At least I hope you are. This is the show where we talk about leadership. We bring on guests, and sometimes I talk by myself to focus on the topic of leadership because it is central to everything that we do. I say this in every introduction because somebody right now is looking to you for influence and guidance. Never forget that. We're going to be influencing hundreds if not thousands of people throughout a lifetime without even trying. So think about the impact that we could have in somebody's life, in our life, the lasting impact that we can make if we became intentional about our influence. And that is the key, the secret sauce to leadership. It's adding value. Pouring your life into other people and adding value. That is how you become an influential leader. And it's a lifelong process. A st- it never stops. You never fully arrive as a leader. And hopefully you're using this show as one of the many resources that are out there to become a better leader. And again, these are all free interviews. And hope you're finding some value. And if you are, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review this show. It would mean the world to me if you go to iTunes or stitcher and leave a and download it to your mobile device so you can listen to it anywhere and leave a rating and review. Hey, I'm excited to announce I'm launching a book. I'm finally completing a book and it'll be out this spring. It's called Exploiting Chaos: Step-by-Step Strategies to Become a Calm, Confident, Consistent, and Courageous Leader in an Uncertain World. So I'm excited to bring you that news and stay tuned. I'll be sharing with you some of the insights of the book throughout the months, as we get closer to launch date. You hear me talk about chaos all the time. It's not about eliminating it. It's about exploiting it because that is the key. It's always going to be there. Something is always going to crop up, so let's get comfortable with it. And so that's what's going to be in that book. So more on that as the months unfold. Hey, a lot of great support out there, a lot of great listeners, a lot of great... um, input i've received and i want to give a um, special shout out to kevin coates and kevin if you're listening to the show thank you my friend you sent me an email that was needed uh, with me i was having kind of a rough week uh, both entrepreneurially and spiritually and kevin um, out of the blue sent me a very nice email um, talking about the show um, and it came at the right time and i emailed him back and I wanted to give him a special thanks for that show. It came right at the right time. It seemed God-directed. I, I won't even deny that. It really did. And so I appreciate, Kevin, um, your wonderful email. And I'm so glad to have met you. And congratulations to you for fighting the good fight with the police force, being you know in the not-so-glamorous field of law enforcement and dealing with inmates and and your leadership challenges and journey. Um, so kudos and hats off to you. So, and again, thanks again, Kevin. I really do appreciate it. All right. And so my guest today is Mike Goldman. You're going to absolutely love this conversation. Mike is a nationally recognized speaker. He's a consultant. He's a coach. He's an author of a book called Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passion Organizations. He's got well over 25 years of consulting and coaching companies. He focuses mainly on small and sized companies. Uh, he tries to steer, steer away from the larger ones. But, man, if you're a fan of the show, if you've heard me talk, it's right up my wheelhouse what we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. We spend a lot of time talking about um, hiring A players, talking about accountability, engagement, um, great stuff. And he talks about um, stuff we talk about here on the show, but in a way that's so authentic, so crystal clear, and so engaging and enthusiastic. You're just going to love this conversation. So I'm a huge fan of Mike Goldman. I'm glad I found him. A blessing to have him on the show, and without further ado, here he is, Mike Goldman, on Dose of Leadership. Well, Mike, what an honor to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership.
3: Richard, thank you very much. Good to be here.
1: Gosh, you know, I'm excited. I'm always fascinated to to meet guys like you, and especially guys who talk a lot about strategy, and I was reading your stuff, and it's right up my alley, and I know this is going to be a fun conversation, but tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got kind of started down this path.
3: Uh, well, it depends what you mean by this path, but but uh, you know, back in the late 80s, I've been at this uh, for a long, long while, uh, <clears throat> Worked, uh, started working with a big consulting firm now called Accenture, uh, spent probably the first 17 or so years of my career <clears throat> working with big consulting firms like Accenture and Deloitte, doing work with all Fortune 500 companies, traveling all over the country uh, until I realized there were two things I didn't like about it. One was the traveling all over the country part, and the second one was uh, i really uh, I had had a taste of working with some smaller companies and really decided uh, that I had a lot more fun and could have a lot more more impact working with the smaller mid sized companies so on around about ten years ago. Uh, shifted focus started performance breakthrough my firm now where I consult to uh, small and mid-sized companies that are frustrated that they're not growing fast enough they're right. not growing consistently enough they're not growing profitably enough uh, and uh, you know just love working with those folks love learning new stuff and and then figuring out wh- which of that stuff's going to work with my clients uh, you know all, all really good really fun stuff so my business these days is a lot more local and a lot more uh, impactful working with a lot of smaller
1: companies yeah I love it what do you think have been consistently over the years some of the biggest barriers that you see that that people especially these these small to mid-sized companies are struggling with
3: yeah I mean the barriers really come from <clears throat> from really the, these four four decisions that that every uh, growing company has got to get right if they want to succeed you know and it really becomes about you know the first decision is about people you know do they have the right people on the bus do they have the right culture the right uh, the right environment so there, there's the people piece of it there is strategy which is all about top line growth and some of the the long-term uh, strategies and plans there is you know execution which is all about turning the the hard-earned revenue into the profit, uh, and then there, there's cash flow, and and of all those things, of those four areas, the the, the 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 ones that I really see as being, you know, on top for for just about all of my clients, is it really comes down to people, which which really comes down to uh, finding, keeping, leveraging a players within an organization. Most organizations are not there; they typically have. Fifteen to twenty-five percent A players, which just is not what makes an extraordinary company. So it's the, the the people obstacle, and then the other is really about disciplined execution. Do they have the right priorities aligned up and down the organization? Do they have the right you know? Are they keeping score in the right way and holding people accountable? Do they have the, the right meeting rhythms? You know, it really comes down to people and execution.
1: Yeah, you said so many great things there. Let's going back to the people piece. I mean, I, I remember and i've certainly made this mistake where especially as a as a young leader and i had some b players maybe even some c players and i found myself spending so much time on those two c players you know i had the pareto principle completely backwards i was spending 80% of my time on that and what a disaster and um it, and i agree with you finding those a players how do we do it though how do we cuz we're under this time crunch And finding good people is a cliche, but they're hard to find sometimes, especially the A players. But what do you think about or how do you find them?
3: Yeah, they are hard hard to find, and, and my philosophy, which sounds like a harsh one, but it's not, is fire fast and hire slow. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, <clears throat> and you know the biggest, <laughs> frankly, the biggest challenge people have in finding a players, is, and this is going to sound strange, but they're not looking, and they're not looking because they've got these these three or five C players that, as you said, you know, in a previous life, are taking up uh, taking up most of your time, and and people fall into what's called the C player trap, and the C player trap says, uh, well, I can't get rid of this C player because then I'm going to be short-staffed. Right,
1: and we'll go off the rails, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, so they keep the C player, and I love uh, – there's a, a guy named Tip Kindle who is the uh, – uh, uh, I'm sorry, Kip Tyndall. I always get that mixed up. Kip Tyndall, who's the, the CEO and founder of, of content, the Container Store, and he wrote yeah. a great, great book called Uncontainable. Yeah. And he's got this philosophy called one equals three. And one equals three says one great person, one exceptional performer equals three mediocre performers. Yes. So when someone tells me I can't get rid of this C player because then I'm going to be short staffed. The answer is you get rid of the C player, you hire an A player and you're going to have extra time. You, you know, you don't know what to do with from productivity. So I think the first one is people aren't looking. The second one is people don't really know what to look for. Mm. And They haven't really defined uh, what, not what the job description is. Everybody defines a job description, but, but what's, you know, what, what are the real expectations of the job and what, what's a level expectations and, and what are their core values as an organization, which really defines their culture and how do they find folks with those core values? You know, what strengths and talents do they need? Uh, you know, and, and people tend to hire when they're in a row. Oh my God, I'm short staffed. I've got to hire someone. Right. And and that's why I say fire fast, hire slow. There is nothing more important than than getting the right person into your organization. You've got to take your time, do it right. And one or one client, uh, actually that that I met with, uh, uh, you know, earlier today, actually, who when I first met with them, they were saying, "Oh, we have trouble finding A players." And I said, "Well, what are you doing to recruit for your A players? We put ads on Craigslist."
1: Really? Wow. wow.
3: An ad on Craigslist, that's your recruiting. But people are are just so tight on time we got to hire quick we don't want to spend a lot of money and man if there's anything you ought to be investing money and time on it, it's finding a players if there's anything you want to incent you know you want to incent the current a players on your team to go introduce you to folks they know That's they right. know other a players yeah so you frankly you ought to be paying gobs of money in referral bonuses because it's certainly no matter how much you're paying it's going to be cheaper than you'd pay a recruiter you're going to be paying gobs of money in referral bonuses for your a players to introduce you to other A players. You ought to be building a virtual bench. You want to, whether you need someone or not, you should be networking, uh, asking everybody you know, hey, who's an A player that I ought to talk to? Well, they already have a job. Doesn't matter if they already have a job. I want to talk to them. And and even if you don't have an opening, you start building that virtual bench of potential A players. So now when someone leaves or or, or you got to hire someone because of growth or or you've got to send a C player off to go work with your competition, now you've got a virtual bench of A players who are there waiting to talk to you.
1: Yeah, what, that is great advice. I love that. You know, still always be looking even though you don't have the opening and use those current A players that you have, right, to build that, that kind of referral list. That's great advice. You're absolutely right. Because I, I've been there, I've seen it, I've done it myself. I've been in that pinch, and I'm and I'm just focusing on the talent and the resume, which is a huge mistake. And I should have been focusing. I got out what you said there: that the character values, the core values. You know, someone that can take my job. That's the one thing I always like to say. I'm going to hire somebody that can take my job, and I would rather have a whole bunch of A players and try to herd cats than try to kick a bunch of people in the butt and get them going, right? And so yeah, and what,
3: what amazes me is, is I'll have companies, I'll say, you know, we'll, we'll figure out that they have like 15% A players on their team. And I'll say, well, we got to improve that. They're like, well, how many A players do you want me to have? I'm like, well, you know, wh- why aren't you shooting for 100% A players? <laughs> exactly. Well, no, I can't have any more, any more than 25% A players, you know, I don't think makes any sense because people define an A player as someone who just needs to get promoted to the next level. And my point is you can have an A player accounts payable clerk that is just a kick-ass accounts payable clerk and doesn't need to be anything else but an accounts payable right. clerk their whole lives. Mm-hmm. So part of it's how do you define an A player because, man, you, you, the sky's the limit. You, you want to be shooting for as many a players as you can
1: agreed you know but we fall into that you know it's it's so true we fall into that kind of mindset that it's not possible or like you said we don't know how to look for them and and it's just i think it's the for me it's the a person that has those core values that that have initiative have integrity and all those things that we want out of an individual and i just refuse to believe that well you know there are just some people that will never spider that we need some people that are um, what's the right word that they use? You know that that they're just going to be kind of the button button pushers and in the lever pullers, and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I just I refuse to believe that.
3: Yeah, and you know what? And if you've got a role on your team. That, that it's critical for someone just to push buttons all day, then get yourself an A player, you know, exactly, button pusher, exactly. if that's what you need. But it really does become, and, and it's all, you know, again, it gets to how you define an A player. And, and when I work with with my clients to not only hire people, but look at the folks they've got and, and do a talent assessment, uh, which I recommend they do at least twice a year, if not every quarter, they need to look at people and really look at them, on, you kind of end up with a four quadrant because you're looking at two different axes one is productivity. And that's how people typically look in an A player. If I've got someone productive, if I've got a salesperson that's meeting quota or beating quota, they're an A player. What they miss is the other act. It's not it, it's not just about productivity, it's about fit within the organization. Yeah, it's the about culture. living yep. the core uh-huh. values. Yep. And if and if you've got someone who is not living the core if you've got someone who's living the core values, but they're not as productive as you want them to be, they're typically coachable yeah. if they're living the core values. Right. If you've got someone who's not living the core values, Really, really hard. Most of the time, impossible to coax someone to be someone they're not. So you really have to focus on those values.
1: So true. You know, we put so much emphasis on talent. You know, but talent doesn't necessarily equal results. And when we think it does, but what—that's what I just heard you say. Talent doesn't necessarily equal results. It's the—it's you gotta have the complete package. And so, oh my God, yeah, yeah.
3: You could have a, you can have a, an unbelievable salesperson that's not living the core values. They may be bringing in a lot of revenue, but they're a cancer in your organization. Right.
1: So true. Well, you know, I, in, in, we think that we need somebody right now and just to think that we need a body to solve the crisis or the problem, but we actually create more chaos and friction if it's not the right fit because now they're in. It's, it's so hard to get rid of them, you know, especially in a large organization where you've got – hr involved and everything else you know it's just so it's just going back to your point you've got to hire slow and get rid of them quickly you know and it sounds cruel but but you're actually doing them a favor that's the other lesson i've learned too and when i've hired the wrong person you're actually doing them a favor by keeping them there and trying to and if they're not coachable like you said and then they're not going to fit you got to cut the court easy it does everybody the favor
3: yeah, I, I to to that point. And that's an important one. Is I truly believe that everyone can be a superstar in the right role. Right. And and I remember reading a number of years ago, uh, Marcus Buckingham and and first break all the rules. And that was the first book I read that really talked about this strengths based uh, uh, leadership, strengths based management, which is something I talk about a lot in my book. And you know, it was interesting. I actually. Pretty soon after reading that book, I had to fire someone who was on my team. Back I used to have a staffing and recruiting firm, and I actually did a strengths based firing. As weird as it sounds, but uh, you know I felt like I owed it to this person. I had someone in, in a, playing a role uh, that, that where I needed a lot of uh, detailed follow through, uh, dot every i, cross every t, and then I had a woman working for me. Who was great at building relationships, but was probably the most ADD person I've ever worked with, and I and I had warned her a number of times, and finally got to the point that I had to let her go. And I said, look, I said, you've got these great strengths around building relationships, and around uh, having no fear of talking to anyone, walking into a room of ten people, walking out with nine best friends when you're done. I said, that's all great. If you find a place that could leverage those strengths, you will be a superstar. But in the role. All I need you for that requires these strengths those are not strengths you have that's not what you're passionate about you will never be an A player here but you could be a superstar somewhere else Yeah. and, and it still was difficult to, to fire that person but I really felt like I was doing that person a big favor by allowing them the freedom to go somewhere where they could be an A player
1: that's right exactly right and that's the way you gotta look at it You know, I'm, I'm helping you because it's it's just not a fit here it's not gonna work yeah and and I've found that they appreciate that when you approach it that way. I mean, if that's if, if if you come to them, no, we don't approach it because we don't like the uncomfortable conversation. But um, I don't know. Yeah, that's good stuff. You know the the whole idea of um, you talked about um, execution and kind of tied with that is the engagement, having an engaged workforce. So you got it. to have an engaged workforce. You're going to have to see more um, efficient execution. And I say it goes back to the A player piece. You've got A players, the execution almost kind of falls into place. Is that a fair assessment?
3: To a degree. To a degree, I, I think. I think if you've the good news is if you've got A players, if you've got a bad strategy, A players are going to help you to, to, to improve that strategy. Right. A player, you got A players, and you got a bad process of execution. A players are going to help you create a better process. Right to to a degree, but I do think kind of as a separate piece from just going out and hiring A players, you absolutely need to have certain execution disciplines, and I think there are three real execution disciplines. That an organization has got to get right because if you even if you're hiring A players as the leader of a small or, or a mid-market organization, if you're not setting the example of accountability and mm. disciplined execution, even A players are going to kind of fall off the wagon and frankly, they're going to get frustrated. and want to go somewhere else. If you haven't set up the right disciplines and the first discipline is all around priorities and do we have the right priorities? Is it aligned up and down throughout the organizations? Everybody know what those priorities are you know the second is all about keeping score you know are we uh you know do, do we know whether we're winning the game or not what are the right indicators of, of our performance leading indicators lagging indicators and then the first th- so the first one is about priority second is about how we're keeping score and the third is about having the right meeting rhythms the right communication rhythms uh, even if you've got done a great job of, of bringing on a players you really do have to focus on making sure you've got those execution disciplines disciplines, uh, really running well and, and your, uh, so you could leverage those A players and really hold everyone accountable. And by the way, if you've got a C player, they don't want to be held accountable because right. it's going to make them look bad. You got an A player, they're looking to be held accountable because they know that's going to be good news for them.
1: That's a great point. You know, people that seek the accountability, I love that. You're and it's so true. An A player wants that accountability. They desire it. Yeah. How do you, um, And this is a. I'm very passionate about this topic of accountability, and for me, and you hit on some of this. I think this is where you're going. For me, I think the best way to hold an organization accountable is at the higher higher levels. My job, my role is to, you know, focus on the intent, the purpose, the why. Um, I think that's kind of like, like your priorities, like you're talking about there, and communicate that like a madman, like a maniacal madman. You can never over communicate that, in my opinion. And then, and then give the um you know if if you're on my team and i'm like you know here it is mike here's what i here's what the outcome is and this is why it's so important this is where you fit in and then send them away to and bring the plan back to me and by bringing that plan back to me i've introduced accountability in the organization does that make sense
3: yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and I'll add a few more things. The, the first thing, and this sounds silly, but companies fall down because they don't really understand what, account, what accountability means. Right. You know, I ask companies what the difference is between accountability and responsibility, and they look at me like I've got three heads or they mm-hmm. give me guesses at the answers. And, and there's a really important distinction there that I make. And, you know, when you use the word responsible, Responsible is who's rolling up their sleeves to get the job done. It is perfectly acceptable to say to get up in front of a 50-person a, a team and say, guys, we are all responsible for, for giving wow service to our customers. That's a fair use of the word responsible. Accountability is different. Accountability is always and only one person. Right. Who owns it? And, and, and people don't, you know, I'll say, well, well, who's accountable for your marketing function? Well, these four people. No, there's no accountability there. No. You know, I have organizations, believe it or not, first question I ask them is who's the head of your company. And sometimes, especially when you've got a partnership situation or a family situation, well, these two people head up the company.
1: Nope. (laughs) Nope.
3: one person. Right. So, so you've got to start off with the right definition of accountability, who, accountability, who owns it, who's making the decisions, who's coming up with a plan, who's keeping score. And then it's about clarity. You know, people say, well, you know, uh, so so what goal are you accountable for, for over the next quarter? My big goal is we need to improve communication. Uh, really what what where's the clarity there? What does the finish right. line look like
1: what's the outcome It's yeah. proof
3: and communication mm-hmm. so so it's all about being specific and measurable and having that clarity you know having one person accountable and then it's about the meeting rhythm. Where if if you work for me, Richard, and I say you're accountable for uh, you know, for for going out and, and building a new, you know, North American sales organization that kind of looks at, you know, whatever it is, if I'm not meeting with you weekly to, to hold you accountable for that plan where you say week one, I'm going to do this. And week two, I'm going to do this. And, you know, and we're not adjusting as we need to, if we don't have the right meeting rhythm to hold each other accountable. Then that stuff all falls apart. Yeah. So it really, it's really a lot of, uh, you know, accountability is really about, again, those three things, having the right priority, how are you keeping score? So you've got real clarity. How do I know what the finish line looks like, you know, on the, on the, on this goal or the, or this priority? And then, you know, what, what's that rhythm of meetings to make sure that we're all holding each other accountable. And I want people at least weekly, if they're not doing what they promised to do, then they ought to be going to that conference room table with their tail between their legs. Yeah, you're absolutely I don't right. want them to be able to hide because they haven't done what they're supposed to do. Yeah,
1: I love that. You, that's probably one of the, one of the best um, explanations between accountability and responsibility that I've heard on the show in a long time. And I mean, I love that. It absolutely rings true and near, dear to my heart. I used to – sometimes I explain to it because I came from flying multi-crew aircraft, and that's how I explain it to organizations where, you know, when I flew KC-130s in the Marine Corps, we had six people on that plane with a lot of functional responsibility, a navigator, a loadmaster, a a flight engineer, a co-pilot, and a pilot. But there was only one person accountable for the whole shooting match that was going on in there. So even if the navigator failed in his functional responsibility – and didn't navigate me correctly to Hawaii and we ditch in the ocean i the person the aircraft commander that signed for the plane am still accountable for that failure and that's how that's how it became clear to me you know even though that this person failed in their functional responsibility i'm still accountable for the safe operation of that aircraft does that make sense yeah
3: yeah i think i think that's a great example
1: yeah great stuff so the book performance breakthrough the four secrets of a passionate organization have we have we hit on some of those four secrets already in this conversation
3: yeah, we've definitely we've definitely hit hit on some, you know, the secrets we really focus, you know, number 1 on number 1. The first one's called acceptance. And acceptance is, you know, accepting that not everybody's like you. We really haven't hit on this one yet, but it's accepting that not everyone's like you. And it, It's it's taken, you know, most people believe in the golden rule, you know, treat others the way you would want to be treated. And the challenge I have with that is that's a great rule to treat other people that, that work for you as long as everybody wants to be treated exactly the way you do. If yeah. everybody has the, the same motivations I have, the same learning styles, the same cultural background, the same career goals, but we don't. So you really have to treat your folks as individuals, accept that everybody is different, understand what makes them different, treat them accordingly. The second one, which we did touch on a little bit, is called leverage, and leverage is about leveraging people's strengths. Rather than beating them up for their weaknesses, allowing people to be a players, but not trying to make everybody well-rounded. Right. Well, making people well-rounded is a recipe for for mediocrity. Yeah. You know, I want people that are superstars in these two or three areas, uh, and then someone else who's superstar in, in these other three areas. So I've got a great well-rounded team that that where I have a superstar at every at every function. So so the first secret is called acceptance. The second one is leverage. The third is im. Impact, which gets to the accountability piece, it's allowing people to feel ownership. An impact on the organization, and the bottom line, give give people the end the outcome you're looking for. Let them figure out the right way to get there, and then the last secret is called celebration. Celebration is about keeping a constant flow of positive, doing things to celebrate not just the results, but the activity that leads to those results. And there are ideas there, like creating contests and themes. You know, as you're you're uh, focused on your goals for the quarter or for the year. So uh, we touched on some of that stuff, but uh, the, the book goes through uh, some broader ideas.
1: Man, this is good stuff. All of this is just so ring and true. It's just exciting to hear you talk about this with such clarity and such um, enthusiasm because this is exactly the stuff that I love hearing. And, it, and it's exciting to see that you're, you're tackling in these, these mid to small size organizations. Do you ever... Um, focus on the, the really large organizations, I find that more of a challenge from a bureaucratic standpoint and just bathing in mediocrity. How, how do we bust through that media kind of mediocre mindset in a large organization?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I purposefully try to uh, do about 95% of my business these days with Companies that are, you know, somewhere around four or five million in revenue yeah. up to sixty, seventy, eighty million yeah. in revenue. Um I, I I get very frustrated, frankly, working with the larger companies because the problem is, you know, those are big ships that that, that take a while yeah, to, hard to, to turn to move, around. Yeah. And and they're also places, frankly, where it becomes easy to hide some C players off in the corner yeah. somewhere. Uh, and, and, and that's very frustrating to me. I, I realized early on in my career as well that working with the, the, the larger folks, um, you know, you can uh, you, you can do something to, to make a company $75 million in a day, a billion-dollar company. Find a way to make them $75 million. And what you realize the next day, you really haven't changed anybody's life <laughs> right. uh, because they're still, you know, the CFO is still doing what the CFO did. Whereas in a small company, you know, you take a business from point A to point B, all of a sudden the owner says, you know what, I can now take my family on vacation. I haven't been able to do that in 15 years. You know, you're changing people's lives. So the same same concepts work for larger companies. It's a little tougher to, to, to turn that that ship around. Yeah. Um and, uh, you know and the level of passion usually isn't there that's there for smaller companies uh, you can do it but but you've got to make sure you know passion is really about finding somebody's why
1: yeah. and
3: in a smaller company sometimes that that's really easy sometimes the biggest why is we love the owner and we want the owner to succeed so we're gonna work our asses off and do whatever we can to make sure that Richard's a success yeah uh, and with, with a bigger company uh, it, it's not it's not quite that simple you really have to find a reason and why, a purpose behind all of this that goes beyond just, you know, we're a big company and I'm a number uh, where people really, people really need to feel like they're part of something. Yeah.
1: I'm curious about your concept I, in my new book that I'm, that's coming out um, early next year called Exploiting Chaos. We talk about um, the concept of chaos and coming from the Marine Corps, that's kind of where I cut my teeth, and it was not about eliminating it. It was about exploiting it and getting comfortable with it. When you hear that term chaos, what does it mean to you? And then secondly, what's your thoughts on exploiting chaos instead of eliminating
3: it? Yeah, I lo- and by the way, I, lo- I love that. I'm already going to read it. I love the name mm-hmm. of the book. Um, but I- he- he- here's the way I interpret that and, and-, and why I love it is because uh, I certainly do, and we talked about you know strategy being overrated or culture-eating strategy you know, for lunch earlier, and I really believe that people and execution is where it's all about, yeah. but, but strategy is important. The problem with strategy is most companies um, that, that do create a strategic plan, and a lot of companies don't, uh, at best – They will once a year say, we've got to create a plan for the company. They'll create a plan which may make a ton of sense and they could spend weeks or sometimes months creating a plan and then they start executing it. And and what happens three to five months after that plan was created? The world's changed.
1: It's worthless, right? Their
3: business has changed or there's a new opportunity or something they thought was going to happen, didn't happen. Stuff happens and what happens is they stop holding each other accountable. For executing the plan as they should because the world has changed and right. that plan doesn't make any sense. So when I think about exploiting chaos, uh, you know, I, I think I help my clients to do that because what we do is we are replanning the business to a large degree every quarter. Right. It's not about annual Goals. It's not about here's our five-year goals. We talk about some of that stuff to to set direction. But the most important goals you set, and we call them rocks, the most important goals you set are these 90-day goals. Because that's about as far as you could look out with any level of confidence. Create these 90-day goals. Get together every week and every month and and adjust as you need to. And then when those 90 days are done, you say, what did we learn from that? And let's create the next set of 90-day goals. So I, I think that's exploiting chaos. Yep. Because you're you're saying, I know things are changing too fast for me to create a plan once a year, once every three years. So we've got to create an environment where we are almost in continuous planning and execution mode and adjusting to that chaos we know is going to hit
1: us. I love that. You're you're absolutely right. That's exactly how I see it too. You know, it's like it's there's always going to be the inevitable unforeseen. And I was um, witnessing a um, annual meeting at an organization and. and the guy was up there talking about, and it was a um, senior VP position and a lot of accountability that he had, and he was talking about the results and everything else, and he was talking about how we have got to become the most, what was his exact words, the most um, expert planners on the planet, and when we become the expert planners, then we will be better prepared to deal with or you know, prevent unforeseeable activities, and we're going to, it's going to, become flawless execution i'm paraphrasing but that's what he said and i was like no it's not about (laughs) being the best planners it's about being the best executors right and getting the best outcome you know it's always keep that outcome and like you said to your point is keep the outcome in mind but man we got to tweak and if we're going past 90 days because something's going to happen that we weren't thinking planning on and that's that's okay that's that's just how it is i think for me it's like it's almost like um we don't plan for perfection we plan to be better prepared for that inevitable unforeseen that's how i look at it
3: yeah and i it's funny you know that they there's a phrase we've probably all heard which is good is the enemy of great
1: yeah right but
3: I, i actually and i use this with a client this morning more often than that i turn it around and i say great is the enemy of good because people want to plan and plan and analyze everything to death to come up with the perfect decision when there is no perfect decision. <laughs> right. Sometimes you got to say, make a damn decision and execute yeah. the hell out of it. And if we start seeing some signals that say we got to make a di- different decision, then let it just. Yeah. But, you you know, if you're there analyzing for, for 20 days trying to figure out what's going on, you probably wasted about 19 and a half days <laughs> right. with that analysis.
1: Yeah. And then we think we got to put more detail in the plan too and the detail is actually the enemy. The more detail, the more friction in, in, in we cause and it just uh, – and we inter- insert ourselves lower and lower into the organization, dispensing the efforts of those who probably should be executing and it just, yeah. uh, it just becomes the, a the vicious more, The
3: more detail you put in there, the more chance, A, you're going to be wrong and B, you're going to have people doing the wrong thing right. because of it. If you're at a high enough level  then those, those assumptions are not going to change. And if you've hired good, smart A players, they're going to go make it happen without being bogged down by 127 details right. that turn out not to be right.
1: I love it. absolutely love it, man. You're speaking my language. It's a fun conversation. I'm curious about who your heroes are. Whose shoulders are you standing on?
3: A uh, number of folks. I, I, I think, you know, I, I'm a big reader. Uh, and uh, my goal this year was to read 30 books by the end of the year. Wow. I'm, I'm up to I'm reading number 28, so I'm almost there. And I'm gonna blow that away. But but uh, you know somebody like Jim Collins who wrote Good to Great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That to me is like the Bible. Too, yeah. uh, of business. Uh, Vern Harnish who wrote Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. His recent book is kind of a, a 2.0 version of that called Scaling Up. Uh, the Gazelles Organization is an organization that I'm certified through, and I just find those tools. Incredibly helpful with my clients. So Vern is a guy that has uh, really helped me. And then um, you know the other I, I, I've a, as a coach and a consultant, I guess just like psychiatrists typically need psychiatrists uh, as a coach and consultant. I have a coach, and, and I've right. had a coach for for the last five years, who I talk to a few times a month, um, who just kind of keeps me uh, keeps me focused, keeps me right from an attitude standpoint because if i 'm not right from an attitude standpoint how do I help my clients and he 's just been an incredible coach an incredible mentor to me uh, so there are a number of folks and, and you know ha- having mentors and, and uh, folks I look up to is important there are a number of organizations and and mastermind groups that, that i 'm a part of To keep me, it's you know, thank God I've got a good thriving business. The challenge for me is feeling really happy with what I've done, patting myself on the back and saying, well, that's good enough because that's when I become mediocre and start to fall off the cliff. You know, so I have uh, a couple of mastermind groups I'm a part of, you know, and a coach and this Gazelles organization of other coaches and consultants where I look around every day and find people that blow me out of the water Mm. and really, uh, you know, just inspire me to, to say, man, I haven't done anything yet. There's more, but in a good way, I don't (laughs) feel bad about myself, but in a good way, it just inspires me to say, man, I got more work to do.
1: That's awesome stuff. Yeah. It's it's so true. And you know, the moment that I got a coach for myself, it just changes everything. You know, you don't, even though we're coaching people, you need to be coached yourself.
3: And it yeah, makes, so makes a world someone said to me, someone said to me uh, the other week and I loved it. They said it's hard to see the label when you're in the bottle. <laughs> <Right>. And another <laughs> another client said to me once it's hard to see the big picture when you're in the picture. Right. And you know, even though I sometimes have challenges that if a client brought the challenge to me, I'd say, "Well, damn, all you got to do is this." You know, it's simple. You know, what do you think? And but but I could have the same challenge and I don't see it as clearly. Exactly. So <laughs> right. so you got to have somebody yeah. there who you can really talk to and rely on and hold you accountable accountable. Uh, you know, really, especially with a small business owner. You know, if you if if you're a CEO of a, of, a, of a twenty billion dollar company, well, you've got a board of directors and you've got a leadership team, and and just structurally, you've got people there who are going to kick you in the butt when you need it, pat you on the back when you need it. When you're a small business owner or a mid-market business owner, you don't really have the, those the, those folks there naturally within the structure. So through a mastermind group or through a great leadership team or through a, through a coach or an accountability partner you've really got to purposefully build those relationships
1: yeah the intentionality the purpose yeah the purposeful intentionality so true kind of a similar question that it kind of a fun question as we're wrapping up here is um if you had the ultimate night we get or the night where you have the ultimate dinner party who would those five people be alive or dead who would you invite oh
3: my god that's a good question um who would I have? I would have. I'm a big history buff. I read a lot of history, yeah. and, and I love. I've read a bunch, bunch, bunch of books on on Teddy Roosevelt. Everybody yeah. talks about FDR, but man, Teddy was an amazing guy who just, you know, uh, no, no bullshit in what he did. Yeah. yeah, So uh, I think Roosevelt would be a guy. Um, I'm a big. Uh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rock music fan uh so I'd, pro- I'd probably have pete townsend from the who oh, there yeah. the Who <laughs> was my was 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 the group i always loved growing up um man who else would i have i think i think having jim collins there since yeah. i love good to great so much um and maybe who else who else Man, I don't know. It's a good, I'm just thinking it's, about. I other it's authors. Tough, right it's Got yeah. to be more than authors, but uh, man, that that'd be a fun uh, that'd be a fun party. I got go. I gotta go get some better wine than I have in that. <laughs> <laughs> Inviting those folks over.
1: Teddy Roosevelt's a good one. I don't know if you saw that documentary on uh, the Roosevelts. I think it was. I did. Man, I, I did. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And, and uh, that was uh, cool. that was amazing stuff. A so.
1: lot of new stuff that I didn't know about Teddy Roosevelt on there. But man, yeah, great expose on him. B. Towns is a good one, too. Yeah, that would be fun. Jim Collins, I'm, I'm with you on that one. You know, When I read Good to Great in 2001, that's when all of this – I'd been laid off from – well, I got out of the Marine Corps and I got laid off from American Airlines and I was trying to figure myself way in the business world. And that was the book that helped articulate what I was trying to say about leadership and business because it was the model that I kind of learned in um, that level five leadership. I don't, you don't have to read the whole book. If you just read the level five leadership chapter – you know that's a great primer for anybody. Yeah, I've probably
3: in reread that book at least three or four times. Yeah,
1: good stuff. I love that stuff. Well, man, Mike, you are. This is fun, man. I, I, I can see why if an organization hires you that, that they would be getting someone solid. I, I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. I love your common sense approach to everything on here. It fits right into what we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. And uh, man, I'm so honored to know you. And, and uh, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about the book and uh, your services?
3: Yeah, well, they can uh, get my, my website is performance breakthrough. Dot com. Um, if anybody wants to email me, they could email me at mgoldman at performance-breakthrough.com. Uh, my uh, book is called uh, Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. You can go and uh, buy that on, uh, on Amazon. So I think those are those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Um, appreciate your your you know kind words, Richard, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, uh, reading "Exploiting the Chaos" or yeah. what is it? Exploiting the chaos or just exploiting chaos?
1: It's exploiting chaos. It's step by step strategies to be a calm confident consistent and courageous leader in in an uncertain world so that's what the title is if
3: if i steal any ideas from there and use them with my clients i'll be sure to give you credit absolutely
1: feel free it's all it's all (laughs) for the good we try to punch this mediocrity in the face that we're bathing in and everywhere and so i'm i'm glad to have a fellow warrior out there who's who's punching mediocrity in the face as i like to put it so uh, I I, i love the stuff that you're doing and i'm so happy you came on the show hang on the line we'll talk for a little bit but guys thanks for coming on the show
3: thank you
2: He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.